Welcome to Ear Full of Dirt, bringing you the latest Major League Rugby news, views, and abuse. Now here are your hosts, Aaron, Dan, and Victor. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, Major League Rugby podcast. Corey is out for the evening. I think he's retching uh, on the side of the highway, half of his guts. I'm not really sure what's up with that, but he said he was sick, so uh, he sends his regrets. Uh, Dan will be joining us a little bit late. He's on a business trip, but he's getting back to his hotel room. And uh, so that should be it. Let's get into the rundown. How's it going, Victor? I'm doing well, brother. Not much. Just here. All right. Two weeks. Uh, it's all he took. Yeah, I know. So, all right. Here we go. So, tonight we're going to talk about the Jillian Potter charity auction. Uh, then we're going to talk about the Major League Rugby schedule, the Sabercats Academy, crossovers, and then there's about 500 league signings that we have to get through. All of them pretty darn good. Um, so I guess we might skip Dan if he doesn't show up in time. But, uh, you know, what did you do on break, Victor? Well, besides stuffing my face on, on Saturday to Thursday really was just another day for me, so really not much, really not much going on. Um, but I, I, I remember that I promised some uh, photos of the food, everyone. But unfortunately, I completely forgot the food was too delicious, so I completely forgot to take pictures of the the food that my mother cooked. But I will tell you, it was definitely worth the time. Um, I think my food is on Instagram. So if you want to check that out, uh, at the Stroh Dog on Instagram. Uh, but let's see. Let's see what I did during our break. So I ran a 10K, flew to San Diego for Thanksgiving, then drove back the next day. Then this last weekend, I was at Lost Afternoon Rugby Luncheon in Houston, F15K yesterday which was complete ass because i drank heavily on thursday and friday and to the point to which i will say good for when you're trying to keep your fitness up and that goes for all y'all senior rugby players you can't get pissed two days before you have to perform all right that's one thing i didn't like when dirt like while i've played senior rugby is some my first season, there would be like a bunch of dudes that went out and like didn't get home till like 1 a.m. And then we'd have to be in the freaking sh- like in the bus at, uh, you know, like five or six to drive north. Oof, rough. But so, yeah, um, I drank responsibly for all those that want to know. I was not going anywhere uh, when I decided to drink heavily. So I paced myself. And I had protein. I had good nutrition. It was just not good if I wanted to perform in in an athletic event a few days later. So drink like an adult, which means – well, maybe not like an adult, but like a grown-up, which means responsibly. Um, Do not look down upon uh, alcohol consumption at all. I enjoy alcohol. And why am I talking so much about alcohol? But there is – You tell me. Um, yeah, had a good time in Houston. We're back. 
plenty to talk about. Um, and for our first subject, um, so Jillian Potter, Eagles, Eagle 15s, Eagles sevens player. Last year we found out, uh, she had cancer. So there's been a big drive to raise funds to help fund her treatment and her recovery. Uh, on Thursday evening, I had the pleasure to interview Natalie Marquino, a USA uh, 7s and 15s Eagle, and also a Colombia Tucanes 7s player who has set up this charity auction with donations from several of the national teams that participated in Rio, a genuine signed uh, Australia uh, which is the gold medal team. Uh, I think, although the Canadian Jersey was not signed, it was in the batch used. So the Canadian Jersey is the only one of these that were signed of that are in this auction that were worn by players, uh, at Rio sevens. So that's a big one. If you're, if you're a Canadian and you were, I know somebody was asking me last week, uh, was the Canadian jersey signed? No, it was not, but it was a match worn jersey, which I think uh, me is valued a lot, you know? So uh, I've put the links to the auction below and that for both the auction and the you caring sites. So uh, check that out. Help Jill Ruck Cancer. And uh, gracias, Natalie Marquino. Victor, off love to you. Sounds like a plan. By the way, guys, if you didn't notice, Dan is right here. He's on my, let me see, on my left or your right, depending on where you are on the screen. But I'm yeah, but that, <laughs> there he is. I joined. I'm alive. Yeah. I am here. Awesome. Before I, I, I said anything, Dan, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. How is uh, how's everyone else doing? I know I'm, I'm sorry. I cut in half with the conversation. I'm actually traveling for work right now. So I just got to my hotel uh, probably two minutes ago. I'm suffering through the very cold late fall in Boston. It's pretty cold up here. Uh, no worries, bro. I know your pain. You're, you, uh, out of this podcast, you're like the warring of the team. Like you travel, travel all over. and We still have a sort of cold with you. So I, I sent so. so I sent Dan and the Augustana song Boston, which I mean I just guessed he was in, you were going to Boston. I don't even and remember telling you I was going to Boston, so I'm kind of no, surprised I, that you I, actually knew. I just sort of figured it out. I wasn't sure, but you're like on the train, uh, blah, and I think it takes longer to get to Boston than DC, so maybe that's what came up. Yeah, it does. Boston is uh, four and a half hours or something like that from New York. And DC was like three hours, I think. So you did some deducing and you figured it out. But um, smart man. Um, so, yes, for anyone at home, I, I am actually not. This isn't my home. I don't have a really nice room like this. It's a hotel. It's, it's not my actual. <laughs> it's not my actual home, but it's a lot nicer. I have a, I have a table and a chair, which is so much nicer than what I have back home. Your, your vanity. At the my, house? my vanity? Yeah, it's right in front of me. It's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> you see me looking up in the middle of the show, just like checking things out, making sure I look good. Yeah, it's great. I definitely recommend 
finding a job in the future for anyone that includes travel at some point is just a really nice feature. Um, one of these nice little jobs. But yeah. yeah, those are always those are always good things. I think. Um, yeah. when it comes if, to if you Garcia, I mean, I'm actually my my. Oh, no, go ahead. My last job involved lots of travel into a desert. So Arizona is a desert. <laughs> <laughs> So thinking of that desert well, right now. I, that's not what I meant. But. <laughs> a different kind of desert altogether. But, I actually, I'm, I'm using my job's travel to go to MLR games next year. There may be one or two that line up, so I'm actually really, really uh, hoping I actually get to travel for those. Especially, you know, Is helpful. Think- I'll just uh, say, hey, make sure we have a press pass. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to this game. By the way, Victor, are you wearing your uh, Columbia Tucanes jersey? That's right. Had to oh, yeah. had to support had to had to support Natalie and all the other chicas. You know how it is, <laughs> and Veronica as well too. As, as they say, "Genos Genos de Honor y Gloria." That's what they say at, on all their Facebook posts. Mm-hmm. I am a, an avid follower, even though I haven't been able to watch a single game because there's no streaming available at all just yet. Next year there will be, but not this year. That's, That's cool. right. But, By the way, that means filled with honor and glory. In case you didn't yeah. know. Yeah. So. Took me a while to figure that out too, but that's what it means. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hablo español y apruebo ese mensaje. I just want to say that. So, um, Dan, we uh, so we talked about Natalie Marquino. Do you have any uh, mm-hmm. anything on that? I mean, I didn't have much to actually add to that other than the fact that I didn't realize that she played for Columbia at one point. But otherwise, um, I missed part of your interview with with her. Yeah. Um, so we didn't talk about that. Um, with Grant, so um, going into the rugbiness, uh, so something happened with her visa. Like she's back in the United States. Good. To she's go. not a U.S. citizen, is she? Uh, I looked it up before. Before I don't jumping think in. so. Maybe she is now. Go to Wikipedia, she, which she is definitely the most was not source. at the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, so she, you know, capped in fifteens and sevens, and all of a sudden she has a visa issue. Yeah. And like she like she played a ton of matches in sevens and fifteens and all of a sudden there's a visa issue and well it probably had to do with the whole uh the Olympic qualification. Well that, for the that's sevens. why she that's why she, you know, played for uh Columbia because she didn't have yeah. a U a US passport. So that's probably um, what did it. You run into like so with the uh realignment of sevens being an Olympic sport. Uh, the only people that can play sevens threes, and I think in general team are people who are passport holders of that country. So for Natalie, it's great for her because she's like a world that is capped. Uh, and now it's going to be interesting with all these Islanders that want to like give up their all black cap and go like to Tonga or Samoa. And I mean, there's a rule in place for all people that want to do that. You, you got to like stand down for three years and then you got to go play sevens. So for the old guys sucks to be you. Um, but yeah, uh, Dan, what did, um, yeah, gracias Natalie and Jill, uh, you know, keep, keep getting after it and beat this. Uh, but Dan, going back to you, man, what did you do during break? 
Um, I celebrated Thanksgiving back home in in, uh, in New Jersey, back where I'm from. Um, after that, I spent some time at the New York Sevens. That's actually where I got this, this nice little sweatshirt. Um, I was a field captain, so I had to stand there as people um, came to the games, and I had to report the scores and uh, deal with everyone as they demand to know where they're going next, even though I didn't know where they're going next. But they saw me wearing something that was New York Sevens official, so they came to me. Um, but then after that, I went to the Jets game on Sunday. I watched the Jets get robbed by the refs. Um, they should have won that game against the Panthers, but they did not. Um, we'll have a separate podcast tomorrow discussing that entire match uh, or that entire game. I don't really say match for NFL games. Um, but otherwise, it was it was a pretty full weekend. I was actually really surprised. Um, I talked to you guys already, so I'm not going to ask you what you guys did since you probably already told everyone else listening and watching yeah. at home. Um, but I think I heard, I don't know if you guys heard this, but I think there was something that kind of got released in the past couple of days, oh. like a schedule of, of some sort. Um, I, I, do you guys hear about that? Oh, yeah. So like, like let's, let's talk about something. Um, so Major League Rugby Thursday, uh, while I was traveling, um, released their uh, their game schedule, their match schedule for the year. Uh, and for all of you Americans – the home team is on the bottom and the away team is on the top. So now it gets it me be. even more confused. That's right. Yeah, exactly. But now I'm like even more confused because it's rugby and I'm used to like the home team being on the top. And it's just ugh. as long as there's home and away jerseys and the away team always wears their away jerseys, unlike these funky rugby euro teams and south southern hemisphere teams that wear or like when they wear a color that doesn't have anything to do with the actual team oh yeah that, like, that's like these french teams who wear pink when all of us like this entire time they were wearing no, 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 like, no, no, blue no. and yellow and they no. just jump up out of nowhere no, no no exeter being oh yeah like black and yellow and then goes away for the euros and is wearing pink that's that's what I was thinking of. It was in a, in in France, so that maybe that's what could. Or, or sail sharks, whose colors are definitely blue and white, and their away kit is yellow. Are they the ones with the really obnoxiously loud neon yellow? Yeah, yeah. So one yeah. disgusting. It's yeah, so yeah. disgusting. So um, ten matches. I just root against them. I can't. So, yeah. Prepared. <laughs> I, I mean, if we're maybe Seattle is going to be like Oregon and come up with all sorts of different uh, color combinations. It's a different state. That's insulting but, to the entire state. I'm pretty sure that everyone in that state who's listening to this, like the three people at most, are really insulted by that comment. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, 10 matches for the regular season. We've got semifinals and finals. That's going to be 13 matches on CBS live um this gives each team eight games uh two bye weeks and for the most part i like the setup i mean six months in advance we have the schedule and then for all the tv games we have the times what do you guys think right we know things that's that's just that alone like regardless of if, if it could be the worst time of the day you know when this is going to happen four or five months before it's going to happen. Like that's something that we haven't really had the luxury of with any games in America. Really, you kind of have to find out like that morning what time the actual game is. 
Um, but the, there are, as Aaron was saying, there are 10 regular season games, which would be the game of the week on CBS, um, followed by two semifinals, which will both be live on CBS as well as a final on CBS. Um, I am happy that there's a final. I know they mentioned it before, but I don't really like personally just doing bonus points and having whoever has the most bonus points is the best because um, at least in America, we don't do it like that. And we got to do things American here, but also just like it confuses some people who are completely new to the sport where the last game of the season, you know, one team could win and you think that they win the entire thing because it's a playoff, but it's not. So just, just to them, it makes it a bit easier. But um, another thing I, I really liked is that there were two buys for each of the teams, which I think part of that had to do with the fact that there were seven teams and there had to be a game of the week for CBS. But that's really good for the, the player welfare, which this league has really said and emphasized that player welfare is important to them. Um, so to have you know two out of the 10 games, 20% or, or my math is completely off, but uh, you know, having two weeks out of those 10 weeks um, be by games or by weeks, even if you play in the playoffs, it still allows your body to rest a bit. You know, it's only a three months schedule, but you still don't overdo it for those three months. <laughs> Victor, do you have any thoughts on the, uh, on the schedule that just came out? Of course I do. I just wanted you to pass me the voice. Of course. Hey, you can, now- you can just take over <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll jump in. You know, I don't want to. You, 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 you know, guys know I don't want to be rude, so I just want to wait for someone to let me know. Hey, do jump in that way. Hey, so um, our favorite Texan is about to crush all our uh, huevos. So be nice. <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> no, it's like so. It's like, hey, it had to be something. I was like, hey, you know, we're cool with the schedule, so it's not a big deal. I love the schedule. I'm very happy with the schedule. The only thing I don't like is is there are one or two games which are 10 p.m. Eastern for the game of the mm-hmm. week because they're like it's Seattle against San Diego or something like that. Like that just kind of happens. It's a one-off kind of thing, but I prefer for I mean, it to not be the case. So, so being a yeah. West, Co- so being a West Coaster on that, I gotta say, um, I'm not into it either because you know what happens if I want to go out? You know, like. You know, watching your team, you know, you, like, so being a Pac-12 guy, right? Pac-12 after dark starts at 8 p.m. It's 11 o'clock, 11.30 when that game's over. I can't hit the club and cut a rug. Dang. <laughs> now, but it sucks for us guys in the in the East Coast because then we had to wait 10 p.m. Eastern time to watch the, the dang game. But, of course, if you're thinking about it like that, like you're going to go out and – you know, uh, gonna, you're gonna do clubbing, or hey, you're gonna go I, out and eat I, later, I, or whatever. Cool. I thought the I thought the party in New York City didn't start till 1 a.m. Anyways, party but, don't stop over here. Well, see, <laughs> see, I'm a good boy, so I I, I went straight home. I didn't, I never went clubbing. Heck, even Mary, I haven't been clubbing. So let's put it that way. I'm a, I'm you a haven't good been man. clubbing with your wife. You should take your wife clubbing, no, man. That's, Right. Because my wife and I are squares. That's why I marry her. Because I don't like her. So that's why I marry a square woman. She doesn't know how to dance. Me neither. That's why I marry her. If you're a Dominican man, you don't know how to dance. You don't dance a woman. You don't marry a woman that knows how to dance. How you guys said that, I thought you I, I thought you island folk had like spice. We do. I got I got I got a different spice though. But I like that. 
Salt. <laughs> it is. Salt is that spice. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, this, this took a tangent. Yeah. I had a point to make, but this took a tangent. I didn't expect this to make. I was just saying, like, it's it's late, but it's not really that late, you know. But I'm still gonna watch Seriously. it. I'm still gonna watch <laughs> no, it. I'll stay at ten to midnight. I'll watch it. I'll go out. It's New York, whatever. But like, I guess for for the new fans who are watching it, if and like I said, this only happens once or twice, so I'm not trying to give them too much shit about this, but it's, you know, for a new fan, unless they happen to be hanging out, scrolling through TV channels and figuring out something to watch on a Saturday night, they're probably not going to come into rugby yeah. and see that, you know, for the most Definitely part. Definitely not. Definitely you not. Know. I, don't know, I don't know how many East Coast people are really going to watch it, at least in the first year anyway, if There's, it's a West Coast a, game. A maybe, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But then again, well, I mean, hey, I know people that wake hey. up, the, 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 bias, all right. You, well, of course, everything has to be on our bias. time. Everything has to be on our time. East because the biggest cities the are in the East Coast. Coast. Of course, there's the bias. I'll be the first one to tell you that's true. Of yeah. course, that's right. It's best coast, West Coast. Okay. I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even going to touch that issue because I never. I haven't been to the West Coast anyway, so I cannot. I cannot <laughs> talk about something I don't know of. So I'm never going to touch that issue. Twice. It's not the best coast. <laughs> But um, now I will tell you no, real quick, guys. I assume that there won't be any buys in season two, though, since we're going to have, I assume, a even amount of teams. So, so we'll see what happens. There will be. Um, so this is what I got for structure. Two, for, right? This is what I got the officially unofficial structure for season two because a bunch of folks were saying, Hey, what about the junior nationals? Blah blah blah. Well, obviously, by world rugby regulations, if this does get sanctioned, they're required to, uh, you know, um, release their players if this does get sanctioned. And for all those wondering and those in the know, April 21st is a special date. Mm-hmm. Guess what? First day, first day guess, of what, of guess what day that is? Oh, dude, the sanctioning agreement, right? Yeah, so um, sanctioning agreement expires on 21 April. Not joking. Mm. So if if Home Slice doesn't have teams in the field, and he knows this, so it's not like I'm like bringing out – it's not like we're, you know, breaking news or anything. He's Um, watching this pod going, oh, shit. All I know is um, his sanctioning agreement required him to uh, like be in accordance with World Rugby Regulation 4, and he never sent his contracts into the union, and he never sent his contracts into World Rugby. So, yeah, he might sue. Yeah, he might cost the union a bunch of money, but he ain't going to win. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um so I think this league doesn't necessarily get sanctioned right away, but I believe this league will be sanctioned within um, within two months of the season being over. So either on the left or on the right. So it'll either get sanctioned in August or in April. That's what I'm thinking. So, really, like, I mean, so either so either it gets sanctioned, you know, right when the sanctioning agreement like expires and they say, hey, 
um, or it gets sanctioned, you know, at the end of the summer and all of the guys are sipped with local clubs so that they're U.S. Eagles eligible. Um, yeah, so that's that's what's going on in my head. So the the schedule um, will go to the left in season two because there's going to be more teams. Um, and then July when the test window shifts, a break, the regular season and the playoffs, and then after the test window will be the playoffs and the championship game. So you're saying that what I got. Will be, there will be like a couple week break during the test time so that yeah. which I guess is actually nice that if you're if you're in either semifinals or finals, you get to actually rest for a couple weeks. And if you're yeah. not you don't have the Eagles on your team, you can just practice for that so, couple weeks and really prepare. So it sort of fits the old super rugby format, which was uh, you know, like round robin competition, then they broke for the June test window this summer because of the Lions series was really kind of weird. Um, and then um, they had their playoffs afterwards. So, yeah, should be pretty cool. Uh, that's the officially unofficial uh, whiteboard uh, playoff structure that I got and season structure that I got. You see, a lot of people, too, kind of talking on that, a lot of people uh, mentioned that this schedule ends in early June, which is right around when the June test matches come. Um, some people had some issues with that, but it's also the first season. One, there aren't too many people or too many Eagles playing in this league, so it shouldn't make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, but two, it's also seems to be focusing more on the future because it is the first year. Um, it sounds like it's going to move like you said, more to the left. So it would start earlier than yeah. April, uh, maybe February or March if there are more teams, and then make sure it ends before the July test match So season, which I think, when's that going to take place? In two or three years? Next oh, summer. next year. Yeah. So. Oh, okay, so that, that's even more reason. It's, it's, there's no reason to to shape it around one season's worth of June yeah. test, so, test window. I mean, you need this, this has been like planning for two years, so – um everyone knew actually well so if you look at this and we'll talk about it in in one of our next segments but this has been like a long-term plan this hasn't been just you know um the last six months or the last 18 months type of thing this was in planning um doug schoeninger got paraded around and started throw like courting nigel melville so yeah. Also, yeah, guys, sorry. real quick. Uh, uh, yeah, what I was going to mention is regarding <laughs> the non. I was going to mention regarding the non uh, CBS feature matches um, because we still don't know where they're going to be broadcast. Obviously, not on CBS because if we're going to have a match of the week, they're going to have it either on Flow Rugby, like a suspected, or somewhere else. So the match of the week, weirdo, is on um, CBS. The rest of them. Uh, as we talked about previously, uh, is currently under negotiation. I know Flow Rugby, for a fact, is competing for that. It may be signed. It still may be un- under negotiation. It may not be Flow. It may be somebody else. But there is a streaming option coming. Um, yeah, that's good to know. Which Flow makes sense. I'm going to table. I'm going to table the streaming option 
until it gets announced because we've answered that question about ten times. Yeah. <laughs> well, just just so everyone's aware too. Just so everyone's aware too, because I. I, I kind of knew this obviously, but for some reason didn't realize it until seeing the schedule is that there's only two non game of the weeks games of the week because there's only at most three anyway. So there's only going to be two options. It's going to be CBS game of the week and streaming options for one or two of the others, which we'll figure out in the future. Hopefully it's either not behind a paywall or allows you to watch it a couple days later, but we'll find out from there. But you know, there's only so many options it could be. You know, for some reason that just never crossed my mind until I really looked at the schedule and said, "Oh, there's three games max." So, uh, one thing, um, if you remember reading in the CBS announcement, Major League Rugby is paying for all of the production. So, uh, currently CBS does not have a streaming uh, service. So, I would think that a uh, game of the week goes on to on demand uh, after a certain window expires. Well, they, they have, you can, you can see things online through CBS, but you can't have a streaming only option. Yeah. So, so CBS is available through over the top services such as PlayStation Vu and YouTube TV. So on PlayStation Vu, you can DVR it. That's PlayStation View, Aaron, bro. View, view, view whatever. Yeah, but I'm guessing that. But you'd you'd still that game of the week. If it's a French, if it's a French word, I've never, I've never pronounced V U E as view. If V, well, this is not a French word. It's exactly, it's definitely not a French word. Oh, We're sorry. talking about a, a Japanese company, you know, Sony. Yeah, but it's not in like. You know, calligraphy, either. Mm. I don't know. Uh, so yeah. if, if that's where, if it's derived from, you know, word and calligraphy, and it's view. All right, I will correct myself and start calling it view. Okay. Right. So all right. <laughs> so let's move on. That's interested. This guy. Um, yeah. All right. For, for this guy. Yeah. Aaron, uh, you had you uh, Aaron, you were in Houston. You mentioned before. Yeah. You had some so, special. You lost something down there. Yeah, so I was invited by uh, Grant Cole to and uh, get my butt to Houston for the Lost Afternoon Rugby Luncheon. And, you know, a friend of us, uh, ours, hooked up a bunch of tickets, and we went. And um, so the night before, interviewed Natalie Marquino. Great stuff. Um, Grant said, hey, there's going to be a bunch of Major League Rugby people here, so you better get down here. Come on. Time to network, get start hustling. So we hustled, got down there. I had a chance to speak at length with Matt Trueville, Sam Windsor, Charlie Hewitt, Jake Turnbull. Um, I had already spoken with Jackson Slater a bunch. He was there. Um, I think there was like two others. I forget who the guys were, two other strikers that were there. Um, they were out there hustling at the booth, selling shirts, selling season tickets, just interacting and talking with you know houston rugby people i did see them at the end of that uh, all hop into a car and it was like a honda and i mean it wasn't bad but then charlie hewitt got in the car and i swear it dropped two inches like he's six foot eight and he's just thick so 
but the big part of that was uh, Matt Truville uh, gave an address about the Sabercats Rugby Academy uh, at Lost Afternoon. Uh, he was the first person to speak. Um, and, you know, when you think about this, was people have been asking about the academies and what the other teams were going to do. We sort of hinted at uh, what some of the stuff that Austin was going to do. Uh, but this is the first, like, huge presentation in public. It, I have it uh, posted on Reddit and on our Facebook page. Um, but so the structure as such looks like, so right now uh, for this next year, they will start at U14 and go up to U16, U18, and then a U23 side. Uh, U23 side, much like I think Austin's will be made up of a lot of college players. They are not doing a U20 this year based on the information I have as of Friday. Um, so we, we sort of started talking about the size of Houston and how many kids this is going to be. I think it's going to be very much a pyramid effect. Uh, you're going to have a lot of kids, you know, at U14, U16, and then we'll down select uh, a bunch at U18. Uh, the academy itself will rotate around the uh, northwest, south, and east portions of Houston because Houston's just so big. Uh, Grant Cole talked about how it's like the it is the size of Massachusetts. So I was just there, and it is massive. It's literally like I was. I never left Phoenix with how big it is, or it's like I was in LA with how big it is. It's you know. It's the fifth largest metropolitan area. So if you think about that in size, New York really isn't a big metropolitan area. It's just extremely densely populated, but think in Long Island to all of that and Westchester County to all of that is the kind of, you know, physical area you have. Um, and then on top of that, they're looking to add between four and six high school programs within uh, Houston Independent School District. And if you look at what's been building, and this is where I talk about the long game. So uh, Houston Youth Rugby Association was founded 10 years ago. Uh, they've done um, more than 10 lost afternoon rugby lunches. Uh, a few years they went on the road and hosted one in uh, Chicago before rugby weekend. So uh, they've done these, done the loss afternoons for about eight years and they've been playing rookie rugby in the elementary schools for eight years. So we're looking at um, your fifth graders right now as seniors that started playing rookie rugby. You're looking at the fourth graders that started playing rookie um, rugby are now juniors and the third graders are now sophomores. And if you have a ninth through 12th, you have the um, second graders as freshmen. So there are a bunch of kids that played rookie rugby in Houston Independent School District, um, you know, a bunch of years ago. So that foundation was already established within the school district. And so you have kids, right? You have children right now learning how to play rugby, rookie rugby in um, second and third grade um, in Houston. So that's where we are, which is crazy to think about like 
the people in Houston have thought about the long game when it comes to growing rugby in this country. Um, so, yeah, that's what I got, guys. It's a, it, it sounds pretty awesome. I, this is the first edition, so I don't know uh, how much further it will go. Again, like everything with Major League Rugby, it has to be a sustainable model. Yeah, I mean, I, I never realized how much youth rugby there was in the Houston area, which makes a lot of sense given how much space they have. Um, but this is actually what Grant posted on the Reddit page in response to someone else asking, following your own comments about the academy thing. Um, he said that there are 12 high school level rugby teams for which actually consistently field um, a second side as well. So what you're saying is um, Sabercats want to add an additional four high school programs, making it 16 total, which is a third of the current numbers. Um, five middle school problem, five middle school programs, um, as well as three or four U5, I think. Um, but what he says about the the whole academy system is, is the idea is to use the northwest, northeast, west, and south areas as the main gathering places. Um, and on rotating Wednesday nights throughout a month, players and their club coaches would attend with the idea that their club coaches would be taking away ideas to continue coaching at their clubs, um, which is a big part of coach education. So it seems like, the, at least for the short term, the academy is is – um, not like what Glendale has. I mean, you, you, you heard firsthand, so you may correct me, but it sounds like it's not so much what Glendale has where they have these 20 or so kids they brought in from across the country in South Africa. Um, but it's more like a rotating camp where they go one Wednesday every month to different areas that are geographically close because it's such a huge area. So and basically just bringing coaches there to coach their coaches and their players. So for Glendale, uh, we'll we'll talk more with Mark Mark Bullock. I have him on Wednesday. Uh, Diana Anderson wanted to make sure we talked about uh, the Glendale Rugby Academy. So the Glendale Rugby Academy starts at U six and goes all the way to U twenties. Uh, their model is a little bit different. Um, I think that's specifically because of the the youth population in Colorado and the Denver area. I don't know. I will find out more about their structure on Wednesday, but I think it was more, especially like coaching edu two things that based on my, my conversation with Matt uh, separate to the address is um, as the Academy director, I think he has a lot to say with where they're going to go and based sort of inferring from my conversation with Thierry and Richard Osborne is some of like some of the teams really believe in the collegiate system. So what we're going to see here, especially with Houston is um, they're going to increase the level of skills with the players, but they're also going to increase the level of their coaches. Notice that like as a key point is there's going to be a tremendous amount of coach education at the youth level. And I would not be surprised if there's going to be a reach back to the collegiate level to raise their level. So Matt wants to, you know, he, he made the emphasis. You always want to get younger. Uh, they want to find, you know, more Kieran farmers. They want a bunch of 18 year olds that can go into their side right away. But they also know that 
you know, still at any level, an 18 year old is a diamond in the rough. Um, if you can find a bunch of 18 year olds, but, and they're close, you put them into the local colleges and they come back for select side play and they're playing for more technical coaches over time. You've established a big base of play um, before they get to the professional side. Um, I think it's just based on the demographics of Houston and the just sheer population size that this is their model. By the way, guys, I was aware of how large their player population was in Houston, kids-wise. And I'm really glad that finally uh, Matt announced the academy, although I knew, obviously, it was coming, and it's, it's coming for other teams uh, as well. Uh, but And, of course, with all the teams that you have around the, the Houston area, it makes sense that, that you have this again, large population of kids uh, into the game or you're wanting them to get them you're wanting to get them into the game itself, which is great. Um, anything else, Dan, before we uh, shift gears? No, I mean, I think we covered a lot and the academies are obviously coming up because we have to deal with the first part, which is the actual MLR for the first season. Um, some of these teams don't have a full roster yet, so you can't necessarily go, go straight into, you know, talk about academies. But um, I think the other thing, too, is just making sure that there is a youth program. It doesn't have to, you know, the, the term academy sounds really official. It sounds like these guys are, you know, doing like military academy kind of drills every day, which is not really the case. I mean, it's it's youth programs that are put together with skilled coaches. And if you can get someone young, with skilled coaches to play for, you know, from 10 to 12 years old, all the way up until when they're adults, that alone is going to put them in such a, uh, a, a greater set to be able to compete that they would very likely, at least at this time in, in MLR, be able to join a squad without too much difficulty, unless they're just absolutely terrible and don't understand the sport, even after six or seven years of playing it. Yeah. Um, but the talent level isn't quite there yet. Um, where even if you're in the academy, you still have no shot, like it's premiership or something like that. There's there's yeah. still a lot of opportunity for these younger players to come up. Um, so that's what we're really hoping for, is just getting as many out there as possible, getting good coaches out there and teaching these coaches how to actually coach these players, then they can really get there. So one last thing. I talked to, like how I said it, talked about, like I spoke at length with Charlie Hewitt, um, and so Charlie Hewitt, uh, his last contract with Wooster was as an academy player. And this, uh, this goes into, you know, um, salaries and what could entice someone to come over to the United States. So the max salary that an academy player, a player on an academy contract, because he was still on an academy contract, even though he was starting in the premiership uh, and playing in the premiership often, uh, the max salary he could achieve was thirty thousand pounds, so about thirty-five to forty thousand dollars, depending on where the exchange rate is. So thirty thousand pounds, thirty-five grand. So you're asking, what is the salary he's going to get over here? A, I didn't want to know that. I just wanted to get the confirmation that whatever it was, it was enough to get over here. And yes, it was enough to get over here. 
And that goes into, we've talked about the salary stuff, uh, not ad nauseum, but quite a bit more so on the board than on, um, on the podcast. So just I think also, that um, with someone like him too, is that you kind of wonder why some players came over and if that was the case and that was really the big difference is just a couple thousand dollars in that sense. It's sort of like leaving a more corporate structure and joining a startup where you feel like you may have a much larger impact and you could be seen much easier than if you were, you know, one of many part of an already, you know, established system. Like if you try and play football uh, or American football in England, you'd probably, uh, you'd probably be shown as much better than if you tried to play in the U S where there are, you know, a couple hundred thousand players, you know, all trying to make it to the NFL. It's a bit different in different countries. You you can use that for many different sports, obviously, but, you know, coming over here, you know, he's the young guy. He's, you know, played professionally and that's going to show. He's also about 17 feet tall, so he's very easy to see. So that's another thing that's really going to help him out a bit. Oh, so um, Grant Cole says uh, the next Kieran Farmer is Aiden DeVilliers out of Katy, Texas. Uh, he's he's already there at the next level. He's ready. So um, says once he starts playing in an academy system, um, he's going to be an even bigger beast than he already is. Is he a lock? Because you're you're saying he's like a beast. So, so basically, um, Grant just told every other MLR team that this guy is out there. So now they can all poach him, and it's going to be Grant's fault. That's basically what <laughs> I'm getting from this. Unless he wants to stay at home and live at home with his parents and play professionally. I mean, that's that's um, set up. I would flanker. So yeah. So I'm going to guess six foot four, six foot five. And he's just massive. Um, well, there was a, a Texan uh, last year, I think. I forget. I think DeHaas was maybe Ruben? Um, oh, True 7. Plays True 7. Ruben DeHaas uh, went into the Cheese Academy last year. Um, De Villiers sounds like he might be South African or French, one of the two. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if someone spies him and – takes a flyer for an academy position in South Africa if he has a passport. So that's important. Um, so, yeah. They're out there, ladies and gentlemen, especially in Texas. <sighs> All right. Are you guys ready to move on? Yes, please. Yeah. I know we're trying to push through so uh, we can get, let uh, Dan – Go because he's got to get up early for work in the morning. Yeah, I'm not just here uh, on vacation. I have to wake up at like five in the morning for work tomorrow. So, so Boston is like a uh, well, Massachusetts is like a summer vacation spot. Massachusetts, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a summer vacation. Actually, fun fact for everyone listening at home that actually cares: uh, Cape Cod, which is the summer destination for Massachusetts, there is a house. Um, in Sandwich, Massachusetts, called the Nye House. Um, that's actually my great, 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 great something grandfather's house. Benjamin Nye came over here in 1635. I am a descendant from basically a pilgrim who came over here, and there is a house, has his name on it. I may be related to Bill Nye. 
just throwing that out there that may be more interesting to people than the fact that I've been here for 500 years. Um, but yeah, that's a little fun fact about one of your hosts. Um, <laughs> the more you know. The more you All know. Right. So getting into the largest topic we had on the MLR Reddit. It was In about history, co- right? It, yeah, I think. I mean, it was um, all about discussing my family history. Everyone there, wanted to talk yeah. about that. We'll talk. We will do the um, Saturday morning family genealogical survey podcast, sponsored uh, by Ancestry.com. <laughs> this Saturday, so check it out. Um, yeah. But so this this one, I forget who it was brought up by. We Mr. Muffin, Mr. Muffin. And he only it was, he, was, about, it was, it was, he was new to the, the, the Reddit too. So I'm very happy that he brought that up. And yeah. it was his first, first topic. And he was, and he is an A&M graduate. We have a lot of A&M graduates on the MLR board. Got the Aggies. Go, out a, go A&M rugby. So um, he talked about crossover, specifically football players. And I'm of the mind um, that, you know, in this country, we have the best athletes in the world playing other sports than rugby. You know, the amount, but if we even look at the amount of uh, football players or other, you know, guys that play other sports that played rugby as children, we've, we've lost a ton of great talent um, to either the NFL or just to, that just left. You know, they just stopped playing rugby. Um, You know, high-level rugby players that went on to the NFL or went on to play football in college and then didn't come back to rugby. And now we're starting to see a few come back, and we'll talk about them uh, pretty soon in our player signing segment. But when it comes to crossovers, uh, you know, Division I elite scholarship athletes um, that have an elite mind – Division one basketball players, division one hockey players. I'm talking about all your scholarship athletes that, you know, in the NFL, there's seven rounds for draft. And then there's only so many flyers that are taken for free agency in basketball. There's only a two round draft and only so many flyers taken in free agency. And I'm not really sure about the hockey draft, but I'm pretty, I think it's, it's a longer. It's like 30 it's, rounds. Yeah. It's a lot longer because there's three levels of minor league hockey that has to be uh, filled with players through the system. And, you know, what I'm saying is there are high level athletes out there. If they receive the right value proposition and go into a relatively similar environment. So we're talking actual Academy setting. And they receive, you know, coaching in a daily training environment for a few years. Um, what they're what they're used to right now. Um, you could get some of these high level athletes to be very good rugby athletes, and a few will become eagles. Um, but the other thing that is out there that we've talked about is just getting rugby spread so that you have just so many players that played as children and then went on to do something else that they already have the fundamentals ingrained into their brains so that, yeah, when 
Um, you know, so Saul Wuking decided that he wanted to be a professional rugby player instead of a professional football player. So that MLR gets so gets so big and it becomes a choice that a guy will choose often to become a rugby player again. So, but yeah, I think there's plenty of athletes out there that have elite bodies and elite minds that if they go into the right environment with technical, technical coaches, they can become more than adequate contributors to a professional team. Are you, are you wearing a Canadian rugby shirt? Yeah. Why? Yeah. I, I missed part of the beginning. But is there a reason? For, I know that there was a whole give out from a, a Jillian Potter thing with it, like a Canadian rugby jersey or something like that. But why are you wearing oh. Canadian rugby? Okay, so oh, you, you know how we get like bot and stuff. So I we talked about this. I was the liaison for the Canadian team at Silicon Valley Sevens, and they sent me a bunch of kit. Oh, disgusting! Gotta, rep- gotta represent, man. <laughs> also, the Under Armour kit is way more comfortable than the Adidas stuff that we have. And I know yeah. that because I'm, I have I'm some- sorry. Just a, I mean, no, I'm, on I'm match sorry. day, I'm never going to wear this, but this is the <laughs> show and I'm representing, you know, got to, got to show some love. And they send it to you. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to just cut the conversation, but in the middle of you saying that you leaned back and I saw the flag, or <laughs> the, the, the leaf, the country's, well, the country's mascot is a leaf. Come on. Like, <laughs> all whatever. right, Dan. I'm sorry. What, what, I, anyway, <laughs> crossovers, academies, what's your, what's your, what's your idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with you for the most part, and it was really interesting seeing how diverse this whole conversation went because you'd see people from Europe who are constant uh, contributors, and they were split evenly, or there were people from America who were split evenly who said, yes, if you are a D1 athlete, you have the talent, you can make it, you can play MLR within a year or two, no problem. And there's some who say, no, that will never happen. You will never have that opportunity. You will never be good enough unless you really grew up playing it. Um, I think currently at this level or like whatever this D1 club or MLR level of play, if you are a D1 athlete in certain positions, you could transition. Um, but honestly, you have to be someone that, that, like, you have to at least have a couple of years worth of just playing rugby. It doesn't have to be the greatest coach, but you have to at least have some sort of frame of reference of playing rugby for a couple of years before you can really get it. Because, you know, I'm someone who's just been playing for like two years now. Um, and I'm most definitely not a D1 athlete. So let's just, let's just put that out there in yeah. case anyone was wondering at home if I played D1 sports. Did not happen. You went to Seattle. All right. We don't. We don't have a football team. <laughs> the football team got dismantled years ago for some reason. I, I, we have a rugby team. I just never. I never played. I really regret that though. But that's that's a whole different conversation. That's for Thursday. Um, so, like, I'm still really trying to understand a lot of the semantics of the sport because I understand like defense for the most part you stay flat. It's relatively simple. Um, for some of the more technical positions, it's difficult, but I'm also playing D3 rugby and I'm having some difficulty. So I know they can have an athletic mind. They can really understand sports so much better than anyone else can naturally do it. But to really take on a new sport like this, which 
there's a lot of similarities with football. There's a lot of similarities with you know hockey or basketball or soccer. It's just not. I, I can't see someone unless they're like Sam Wuching or like Nate Ebner who played youth rugby or even just a couple of years of high school and some college, but then switched to NFL or something like that. I, I really have difficulty seeing them excel in this league. I mean, maybe a deaf a deaf player if you want to see them really focus on it. Um, try and break the roster after like a year, maybe have them play at a D2 or D1 club or something like that, or for the amateur side. But like you said, I mean, it would have to be really, really, they have to really focus on well, playing. I, I don't it think, can't just be someone who just switches. I don't think you can just grab somebody and give them, you know, a month's worth of practices and then put them out there. That's not what I'm, oh, yeah. that's not what I'm advocating for. I'm saying, you get the you get the right guy, so this so scouting right scouting is difficult. You get the right guy in an envi- in the correct environment. He can be ready to play in, you know, a year. Um, most guys will be, need to be in the right environment for like three years. And I'm talking about more than just playing club rugby. I'm talking about being coached daily. And then playing that club rugby somewhere else, yeah. not with the professional team. That's really the kind of environment I'm talking about, like an actual academy environment. So whatever that U23 environment looks like for the non-college players that come in, like so they would come in for a year, and they would spend 40 hours a week working on rugby, and then going and playing club rugby away from the professional side is. I will say though that once we do get to the point where you get where it's very common for someone like like the Sam Wuchings or the the Nate Ebners out there who play like high school rugby or youth rugby, but then decide to go play D one football or hockey or basketball or something like that. But then once they know that they can't make it, go back and actually say, you know what, I'm gonna play rugby. Like that's when that whole athleticism will will really be awesome. And in, in the next couple of years, maybe five, ten years or so. Um, I think Utah actually has a couple of signings who were specifically high school rugby players who played D1 or D2 football and then, you know, came back to rugby afterwards. Um, I know I, I talked a lot. We both remember a lot. Uh, Victor, what about you? What, what do you think about the whole crossover athlete there? Well, I agree that the USA provides many athletes, but as you guys know, and you guys play, and I don't, skills in game take time to develop. So crossover players will take longer to get going up to a decent level, whether that's the three, the two, or the one. And of course, I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule. Of course, uh, maybe you got a player coming, let's say, from American football or basketball or American uh, or ice hockey that may develop faster than someone we know sport experience. But you have to understand that teams had to obviously had to make good investments. And they don't want to be investing too much money on a player that's going to pick up the rules of the game late. So it's, 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 it's a cash 22 to a certain extent, depending on the player. It, it's a double-edged sword. You have, again, a really good athlete, because as you guys know, you cannot teach weight nor height but you have to teach skills to go alongside those physical attributes of that. Yeah. And some people say like, like um, 
in this whole conversation, like Spike Davis was an example that people brought up because he played football for years. He was a, I think he was a walk-on in college for football. And yeah. then he tried to make it to the NFL, maybe played a practice squad or something like that. It didn't really work out. And then, then he made the switch to rugby, but in order to actually switch over to rugby, he, I think he was part of tiger rugby. Yeah. So Spike was coach was in the, Tiger Academy for about a year and then pro started. And then um, Sam McGuffey, another guy from Texas who is a very talented football player, very talented human being. He is now on the USA uh, bobsledding team. Um, so great for that guy. But he was only in like the, the Academy, the Tiger Academy for like a, two months um, when he was called into the pro side. So, I mean, Spike on a very limited sample size received a call to the Eagles. Now, um, people, you know, look at Spike's game and see a lot of holes. Yeah. But you're looking at a guy who uh, hasn't played a lot of rugby and he needs to play a lot more rugby to fill in the holes in his game as this six foot four winger. Um, you know? Yeah. But he, he's still, at the end of the day, like he, there will be holes in his game, obviously, because he wasn't um, playing for that long. I think a lot of people said that his defense really lacked a lot and people just saw that he scored a lot of tries. And I think he, he was actually the leading try scorer for pro rugby with I think 15 tries and he's about five tries more than anyone else, which you kind of expect a wing to, to score the most amount of tries, but to be five tries more than anyone else is pretty impressive for someone who's only played for about a year. So when you do have crossover athletes, um, you should expect that they would have certain abilities like that, that they would really exceed at. Maybe it is just the offensive side and maybe they would really not succeed very well at the defensive side. You know, they're going to have, major holes in their in their game but they may have you know real great strengths that if you're able to coach them up in a more serious way in a professional setup the thing is in the u.s players have not had the chance so far to really be in a professional setup for continuous amounts of time there was pro rugby which only lasted for about a year um but hopefully well, if this it, lasts so pro went from was it, pro was like five months and then players went back to their clubs. So they went from a professional environment to, to a club environment. Yeah. Well, if you, that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different conversation, yeah, but yeah. Um, but if you do have someone in the, like if MLR has been around for five years and you have a D one athlete who comes back and, you know, plays in a, an academy setup for a year or two and can play with the professional side, maybe as a starter, maybe as a replacement, but then they can, in the offseason, really work on their game. And, you know, they've had some high-quality games. They can see where they have to improve, and the coaches can really see that too because there will be this magical tape of their game too, something that club rugby has not had much of. Oh, of I, we have been corrected. Spike Davis played a bit with Alliance Rugby in Keller, Texas. So just under – West rugby legend Doug Newbauer. So there we go. Take a grant. Or someone else from Texas who happened to be watching our podcast right now. 
Not Grant, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what these. It is but Grant. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, not to to kind of beat a dead horse for this whole conversation, but it's it's really tough. Um, you're not going to get every player to come over and cross over, and it's going to take up a lot of coaching. Long story short, TL DR, um, it is difficult, but feasible. At least we think if you can get the right structure in, at least at, with this current level. But um, some people have noted that within the next couple of years, hopefully the talent level in MLR wouldn't be reliant on some of these athletes unless they've specifically played youth rugby and just came back to rugby after playing D1. You know, it may not be relevant at all anyway because there just may be much higher t- talent level in the next couple of years. Yeah, so. Uh, Victor. Um, any last thoughts on that segment? Huh. No, not really. Besides what I just I mentioned at the end, again, we got the, the athletes. We just need to get them going. And, oh, by the way, actually, do, do have something. And now we're talking about Spike Davis. Where is that man? How come no one is signing um, Aaron Spike Davis? That man has to be signed. Spike Davis. Um, he's around. I know he's working in Dallas. He's in uh, Dallas somewhere. Hanging out with Rickett Hatting a bit. I know he Come on, Phil. I know man. he hasn't played. That's what I know. And supposedly there's reasons about that. Uh, there has been rumors on the Reddit page that, um, well, if you go type in Spike Davis, um, they'll probably come up. Yeah. But uh, Not for enough for part, our views, news, and abuse. It's, yeah, it's one I mean, step below I, that. We don't want. I don't have another source to that I can use to back that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think yeah, uh, like you said, Victor, uh, it takes years to get the fundamentals. You know, blocking, passing, tackling, and blocking. So, I don't know. I look at some some of this rugby, and I I swear I see some blocking. Okay. Oh, there's some blocking. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Yeah, so you got to get the fundamentals and some and to be honest, you scouting is going to be difficult for because the guys you're going to want to like invest those resources, those precious resources on for an academy spot like that specific thing, you want to you're you're going to be more worried about the the sports brain side of it than the sports body side of it because guess what? There are plenty of guys that don't make it in the NBA, in the NFL, in Major League Baseball, in the NHL because they don't have it up here. Yeah. They have it out here. They just don't have it up here. Yeah, you and, see these guys every single year, like first first round draft pick, 10th overall pick, physical freaks, and then they do nothing. I mean – as a Jets fan, I think of Vernon Golston who came out and he was supposed to be this just like athletic freak. And he he couldn't get a single sack as I think it was a defensive end slash outside linebacker. Like not a single sack. Like he didn't just accidentally trip and hit the quarterback, which you think would happen at least once. Not once. Because you just you see him in college and you know you think they have all these these skills because they're physical freaks and they can take advantage of that. And maybe you see these guys play football and you think them, you know, on special teams or on you know on defense, you're like, wow, that would make a great rugby player. But then you see them actually play rugby and they don't get a single tackle and they trip over their feet and they arm tackle or they do stuff that doesn't work. So, yeah. 
So um, let's get into player signings and wrap this up um, so that Dan goes. Or if Dan, um, if you just want to pop out now, that's cool too. But, nah, I'm committed at this point. All right. Uh, no, that's actually that's, that's a lot of signings. Holy crap. Um, I didn't expect to do that much. So, yeah, it was a lot. So. And one actually, came up, one actually came up this this night, which I didn't realize. Yeah, and Victor took a red card for that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Welcome, John Wayne Cullen, to the Utah Warriors. Eagle number 457. Um, plays lock. Uh, he's going to play some loose forward as well. He most recently played with the Utah Selects. He also played with the Saracens BC Premier League side. Um, he started for two seasons at offensive tackle for the Utah Utes. Uh, he also started previously for Fullerton College, where he became the number one rated JUCO lineman in his signing class. Uh, there's uh, some great stuff if you look up John Wayne Cullen about how he uh, – how he was as a leader uh, while he played at Utah um, rugby in high school. Um, he's literally like down the street from, you know, where I grew up down in, I think La Mirada, California. Um, he's 27. So a little younger than me, obviously better looking. He is a massive six foot five inches which is 1.95 meters for you people working in metric. Um, we're going to start doing weight in stones since every man is massive. We won't touch kilograms. So 260 pounds, Jean-Wayne Cullen. The next signing is, for the Utah Warriors is Alex Tucci, originally recruited to Colorado State University where he started 12 games in 2012. He then transferred to West Texas A&M where he would start – 24 of 25 games uh, he appeared in at defensive tackle. He first began playing rugby in high school. Most recently, he played with Gory Rugby Football Club in Wexford, Ireland. Um, he is a product, most recently, of the Okapi Wanderers rugby program under Gavin McLevy, and he was also signed by Gavin McLevy to MGM Sports. He is 25 years old, six foot three. 1.9 meters, 260 pounds. He plays some prop, and he plays some flanker. Uh, he is a big unit. And he's actually um, he's 260 pounds now. As a defensive tackle, he was 300 pounds. Um, then we're going to go to uh, Lotte Talisa Tuipulotu. I think I butchered that one. Yeah, Tui Pulotu. Yeah, you got it, Tui Pulotu. Had that one to the list of butchered names. Tui Um, He's a hooker. Signs with Utah Warriors. He was a Tonga National Rugby League player back in 2012. Uh, he is a Tonga Rugby Union A-side select player. Uh, last year, he was featured with the Rugby Utah Selects. He's also played for the Utah Rugby Brothers in the Rugby Utah Men's Premier Division. Uh, last summer, he was also a USA Islander selection. Um, 27 years old. Uh, he's five foot six inches, also a big unit at 256 pounds. Dan, offload to you, man. 
So I meant to actually bring this up before. Uh, John Wayne Cullen, um, if his name sounds familiar at all to anyone, he is named after a very famous person, John Wayne, the Duke. So that's a nice nickname I'm expecting to come out. So he, I think uh, the, the post actually said he was specifically named after John Wayne. Oh, yes. Yes. So that's... He was. It wasn't just a strange coincidence. No, not James, John Wayne Gacy, the other John Wayne, the better one. Um, so anyway, so onto the next running by the Utah Warriors. This is the one that I mentioned before was one that just happened to come out out of the blue. Um, this would be Kendrick Scott, who I'm going to have to be honest, I don't know anything about. Also, because I just heard about this for the first time in the middle of the podcast when I happened to click on the Reddit page. Read the script. It's I'm reading there. the script. I'm just telling people that I'm reading the script. <laughs> uh, so he's the Blues and Rugby Utah Select Sevens player. Um, he is pretty new to the sport, and he's already in professional team, which is huge. I think Victor wrote that. Um, congratulations for becoming a warrior. Uh, he played for K-State Rugby, Atlantis Rugby, Denver Elite Sevens, Heart of America Rugby Football Union, All-Star Sevens, USA Hawks Sevens, Kansas City Blues, Rugby seven prior to joining the Rugby Utah Selects sevens in 2017. So he has a lot of sevens experience, as you can see. Um, he's only 24 years old, six foot four. You know, his weight and height is you know, British, whatever. Um, John Sullivan. So this is a guy who comes in with uh, some pretty impressive uh, facial, facial hair. We're not really sure what would like better, the, the full beards or the handlebar mustaches. Um, he's a number eight on loose forward. He's uh, coming to New Orleans Gold Rugby Club from Mystic River. Mystic River, I'm sorry. Um, he's played for Negro Iazul, Northeast Academy, Stars Rugby 7, Select Sides. He was an all-rugby East player from St. Bonaventure University, so he was a Bonnie. Um, and he is age 24, another 24-year-old, actually pretty young. Six foot two inches, weight 225 pounds. So, uh, you know, pretty good player coming out there. But the last one is actually someone who's a lot more familiar to a lot of our listeners. This is Ben Tarr, who's also joining the NOLA Gold. He's Eagle number 459. He is continuing his career, uh, formerly of Glendale Raptors. Um, as many of you may have been aware, he did make the jump from Glendale over to New Orleans, which is pretty interesting, um, as well as the now defunct or possibly not defunct in the future, Denver Stampede. Um, he's often played tight head prop, um, but for the Eagles 15, he played loose head. He's pretty versatile in the front row, um, played with South's Rugby Union. Um, he was on the MJAA during the 2014 Junior World Trophy, Trophy Team, and he's also a young buck coming in at 23, 5'11", weight 247. Um, so with that, I will pass to Victor. However, I will actually also have to pass off because as Aaron mentioned a couple of times, I do have to work early in the morning. So well, thank you all for joining us tonight. I'm headed to bed. There's not much else to talk about that I would actually contribute anyway. So <laughs> good night. Have a good night, Dan. You have to work, bro. Me too. Yep. Good take care. Talk to you soon. See you next week. Take it for the kiss. Aww. You didn't show that, so obviously. Because so <laughs> you're listening so, to this. So cute. That was so nice of him.
Deuces. Anyways, moving on, guys. So, by the way, going real quick with John Sullivan, thank you very much to John uh, for sending his stats through Instagram. He, he, uh, he hit me up uh, when asking about it because I couldn't find him anywhere. So, thanks again, John. And, uh, yeah, he's from upstate New York. My little sister goes to the University of Buffalo. He has a couple of friends that go up there and also his brother. So, we got that in common. So, it was really cool talking to him. Okay, so moving on with the signings, guys. So next we had the famous sevens player, Mr. Garrett Bender. He's coming in as a flanker, and he's been signed by the Seattle Seawolves. He's originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Play American football and rugby while attending Washburn High School, eventually going full-time with rugby, winning St. Cloud State University. And after playing for the Eastside Banshee Sevens team, he caught the attention of the selectors, which is how he entered National Sevens team. He's now a veteran of the Eagle Sevens, also part of the 2016 Rio Summer Olympics team, which unfortunately finished ninth place. I never like to say that, but I had to. Vendor is actually really young. He's only 25. I thought he was a little older. He's six feet, four inches, which is 1.93 meters. He weights. 202, uh, 225 pounds. I will mention the kilos, 102 kilograms. I'm from a country that uses the metric system, so I will use it. I don't one do country that. took <laughs> us to the moon, and one satellite on Mars. Whatever. Still got to use it. I don't do that stone thing. Let that for the English. Moving on. Tim, uh, Tim Fitzgerald. Uh, known by his friends as Fixie. He's been signed by Austin Elite Rugby uh, as a loose head prop. He's originally from Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, and played in uh, for his high school a team in St. Ignatius College. Excuse me. Uh, he played for his high school and then went to St. Ignatius College at Review. And later, he also played at the University of New South Wales. This has been part of the elite side of the Hunts. I won the National Club Championship in 2017. Fitzgerald play for all Sullians, I believe it's pronounced, in England and Northern Suburbs, which they played out of the Shoot Shield, if I'm not mistaken, in his native um, Sydney. That's a competition played in New South Wales. Um, with his stay in Austin, this will be his fifth season in the city, which is really cool. He's 29 years old, six feet, uh, six feet one inches, or 1.85 meters. Weights 260 pounds or 117 kilos. Then after that, we have Mr. Cameron Falcon. We talked about him before, but this is now confirmation that he is indeed playing for the New Orleans uh, Gold Rugby team. He's coming in as a number two, playing hook or hooker. Um, he played, by the way, for uh, New Orleans uh, Rugby Football uh, Club. He's a native, by the way, of, of New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. He comes from a rugby family where his father used to play, his, his brothers as well. As part of the Louisiana State University team, Falcon played for the USA under-20s, and once out of the institution, played for the Ohio Aviators out of Pro Rugby, uh, the Wellington Lions of the Matter 10 Cup in New Zealand, and also played for the Eagles in, I believe, the 2016 Americans Rugby Championship. He is 25 years old. He's also six feet one inches, or again, 1.85 meters, weights 250 pounds and 114 kilos. Lastly, and this gentleman came 
uh, out of nowhere, actually. Uh, Houston Severcats actually signed another player after so so uh, so many months without announcing no one. Uh, a gentleman named Moriva Mo Mascari. Uh, he's coming out of the Kansas City Blues. Uh, by the way, guys, I just got a confirmation that Cam Falcon is uncapped. Thank you for letting me know uh, about that. Appreciate it. I think he was in the player pool, but he was never named to a match side. Ah, okay, well, thank you for the correction then. So, yeah, so we got more uh, Mascari, uh, again, coming out of the Kansas City Blues. Uh, he's at, he was actually already signed and was going to be confirmed, but what happened was that another player that was uh, added to the team before, uh, Johnny Harrison, got injured. And it, it almost looks like Mo is coming to replace him, but I've been told that's not the case. Just a funny coincidence. But yeah. now I'm really happy to announce that this gentleman, uh, Mascari, is originally from Port au Prince, OS Haiti. And as a Dominican, I'm really happy to have Haitian brothers uh, playing rugby in the States. Hey, if Houston wasn't my team the first time, it's going to be more so now they have a Haitian guy playing. Um, he grew up in the States, so he, he came as a kid. He grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, he got involved in rugby while attending uh, Pittsburgh State University, which I thought it was Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, but it's actually Pittsburgh, Kansas. I was not aware there was a picture in Kansas. Yeah. And there, yeah, there we go. And their team is called the Gorillas, which I was not even aware of that until recently. Now, after stints playing with the Vegas Seven, uh, excuse me, the Vegas Selects, which is indeed the Sevens team, uh, out of his Rugby Academy, and playing for the Boston Thirteens out of USA Rugby League, uh, Mascari entered the Blues in 2014, and has been there ever since. Well, now, of course, coming into the Houston setup, he's 28 years old. Uh, he's six feet even, or 1.83 meters. Uh, weighs 200 pounds or 90 kilos. And with that, guys, those are the nine signings for last week and the week after that. Um, so I don't have any views and I don't have any abuse. Well, well, no, we received abuse last week to the Rugby League troll. Um, as I said, um, your ban may not be permanent, but if you continue to be a jerk, um, your ban on that... <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, not really. Hey, um, it's a, rug- it's a rugby union podcast. Um, we'll address rugby league uh, events as they affect the major league rugby, which is a rugby union competition. Other than that, that's about it. Um, news. Two really uh, – one really cool partnership and another sort of extension of a previous partnership – uh, the first one is the Seattle Seawolves signed a partnership with Special Olympics uh, as Seattle will be hosting uh, the USA Games. This Shalom Sumiula will be a games ambassador. So you'll see a lot of support from the Seattle Seawolves players in aiding the athletes as uh, they come through this summer. Uh, my sister has special needs, so this whole event is very near and dear to my heart, and I think that's really awesome to see uh, an MLR team get involved. The Austin Huns had a partnership with Kettlebell Kings, and now Austin Elite has also established a relationship with Kettlebell Kings, 
And strength coach James DeLacy will be publishing. I said punishing. He'll be punishing some kettlebells, that's for sure. (laughs) There you go. But he'll be publishing kettlebell-specific workout videos pretty soon to go with that uh, partnership. Uh, Kettlebell Kings uh, is puts out a great product. So if you're, uh, you know, in the market to uh, lay the beat down on yourself, uh, they are good, a great product. So uh, go into the tweet of the week, Victor. Well, since Dan left, I guess I'll take the tweet of the week, guys. So the tweet of the week is actually really simple, and it's actually a response to the post that we put on our Twitter page regarding the signing of, of Cameron Falcon uh, to um, New Orleans Gold. And so I, we put it up. Actually, I believe I'm the one who put it up. And a couple of minutes later, uh, a Falcon liked the, the comment and then he, no to me like the well yeah like the the post and then he commented saying and i quote a professional hooker in your in your leans mama i made it which when i read it and then i'd share it to a couple of my friends they just laughed their butt off but yeah he's indeed a professional, <laughs> professional hooker, hooker a professional hooker in your leans oh uh, pun intended and, everyone pun intended of course uh of course. so we only got one question from Bob because I sort of waylaid the other one because it had been answered previously, and that was about streaming options. Um, but this is from Humpers92. Some U.S. clubs have partnerships with European clubs. Will those be extended to MLR teams? Will MLR teams establish new partnerships? And could this lead to a deployment of European resources to develop the game via players on loan and coaches? Um, I think it depends on... Like which team, like which clubs we were talking about? Because I know some clubs have, you know, great strategic partnerships where they get help and they get call, they get to go on calls with uh, executives from foreign clubs, and you know they actually get something out of their partnership more than just a name. And some clubs don't just get a name to put on their website. So. If, you know, we establish strategic partnership, and I think uh, NOLA is establishing one with Claremont, I believe there will be an extension of the Huns one with Rossing 92, especially, you know, we have a lot more French connection now. But I don't really know as far as the, the rest of the MLR clubs and what they're seeking to have as like foreign partners. Um, I know we've, we've said it on the podcast that there are links between the stormers uh, rugby side in South Africa and the San Diego Legion. Um, What does this mean? I hope it's not really players on loan, but I hope it's coaches, coach education. That's like tremendous amounts of coach education resources. That's that's what I hope. Maybe even coaches on loan. What do you mm-hmm. think, Victor? Well, that's I was going to mention the same thing. The 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 partnership that uh, the Austin Hunts have with Rising ninety two, which to a certain extent has been extended to Austin Elite. Uh, and I actually forgot the one with Claremont and Nola Gold. But yeah, I'm, I'm expecting that as the league progresses, we are going to get more partnerships between the teams in top four team uh, premiership. 
Pro Four Team and Super Rugby coming uh, again, connecting with the states. Uh, teams. Now, I guess it all depends really on geography because I would assume that the teams in California will connect more with those in New Zealand, Australia, and even South Africa. And then the ones on the East Coast will connect more with Europe, specifically uh, the British Isles and, that's, and I guess maybe France. But really, it all depends on the team. We'll see what happens. So um, that's all I got as far as questions from Bob. And Victor, to our final thoughts. Well, not not really that many besides the the thing that we always say at the end of the podcast. You want me to say it right now? Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, as usual, and since obviously we're coming to the end of the of the podcast, thank you very much for listening and or watching if you're watching this on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, subscribe to our channel called Earful of Dirt. Uh, find us at Earful of Dirt Fancast on YouTube. As always, guys, like us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. By the way, we had quite a number of people liking us on, on Facebook, mostly a couple of my contacts, which, by the way, thank you, or gracias, if you're listening to this, for, for liking the page. Thank you for the support you show through the podcast. I, of course, you're showing to me as well. Of course, we also show to my my colleagues of the show. Uh, also, guys, make sure to add us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Player Friend, and of course, leave us a review. I checked; we got nothing. Hopefully, we're gonna get something next time. What I do need, everyone, from those of you listening, is leave us a voicemail, guys. We're we're waiting. Like seriously, we the the show starting in August is December, and we still haven't gotten anything. Remember, guys, that phone number one seven two zero. 600, as in 600, 2679. Again, that's 1-720-600-2679. Make sure to leave us a voicemail. We're going to put it, obviously, on air. Well, I guess not us because Ari and I are not te- technologically uh, paired for, impaired for that. That will go on to Corey whenever he's not puking his, his entrails out. But uh, we'll see what happens with that. And speaking of Corey, guys, hopefully he'll be back next week full of recovery because, as you remember, two weeks ago, um, he had that, that head cold that he got in Vegas. This man hasn't been in the show for the past two weeks because of sickness. <laughs> so hopefully it gets well for next week. Yes. So um, shout out to all the people I met at Lost Afternoon that uh, decided to check in on the podcast, um, specifically uh, it's um, American Rugby Pro Training Center Matt, um, mental skills coach, Madison Gray. Uh, she's a mental skills coach for a lot of uh, professionals in Houston. A uh, really cool person has a great book that I've been told I need to read about mental skills. Talks a lot about, um, what is it? I think it's um, failure. Uh, it's like failure, successive plan. I don't know. But it's like plans to have after failure and plans after having success. Um, very important stuff that so that you can apply to both on the pitch and in the boardroom. Also, really cool dude that two dudes that I met, um, Darren Morris, uh, British and Irish Lions, and Welsh Prop. Great guy. Um, hopefully, we get him on the podcast. And then I met Addie Spencer, the last rugby league player to be banned by the RFU. 
if that is not like something to be have notoriety for i talked to him a little bit and he seemed interested maybe we can get him on the podcast in the spring especially to talk about like that period of you know rugby union 95 96 uh going down so um yeah that's all i got tonight everyone uh we will see you i will see you on wednesday with mark bullock and we will see you next monday 10 p.m Eastern time and 7 p.m. Pacific time right here. And as much as connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us. 